0: You are listening to Talk Geek to Me News, number 77, recorded for Tuesday, October the 2, 2nd, 2012. You are listening to the Tech Only Hacker Public Radio Edition. To get the full podcast, including political commentary and other controversial topics, please visit www.talkgeek to me.us. Here are the viral statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg. At deepgeek.us The webpage for this program is at to me. US. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username Deep Geek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in Deep Geek Talk Geek to Me. And now the tech roundup. From TorrentFreak.com, dated September thirtieth, twenty twelve, by Ernesto. Pirate Bay founder remains locked up without charges. Following his arrest late last month, Pirate Bay co-founder Gottfried Svatholm was deported from Cambodia to Sweden. Initially, it was assumed that Gottfried was sent to Sweden because of the outstanding one-year prison sentence in the Pirate Bay case. However, once he touched down at Stockholm's Orlanda, Airport, the authorities said he was suspected of being involved in the hacking of Logica, a Swedish IT company that works with the local tax authorities. Since he hasn't been charged officially in the Logica case, the Pirate Bay co founder could only be detained for a few days. But after a request from prosecutor Henry Olin, this term was extended for another two weeks mid-September, and last Friday the district court decided that Gottfried could be detained for another two weeks. According to the prosecutor, the investigation into Gottfried's involvement in the logic attack hack is still ongoing. Quote, he is suspected of this breach of data security. The court ruled that there is a risk he could affect the evidence in the investigation and that there is a risk he could be committing crimes again, unquote, Olin said. To prevent Gottfried from interfering with the investigation, the prosecutor believes it's justified to detain him for more than a month without being charged. The Pirate Bay co-founder is not allowed to have visitors and is being refused access to newspapers and television. According to the Swedish system, when the preliminary investigation is finished, I as prosecutor decide whether to prosecute him. In the Swedish system, it is quite usual for people to be detained on this legal ground and it gives me the possibility to prevent him from having contact with other people, Olin said. The prosecutor hasn't ruled out a request for another extension of Gottfried's detainment in two weeks if the investigation is still ongoing. Two other Swedish citizens, both in their 30s, were previously detained under suspicion of also being involved in the hack. One of the suspects was a member of Pirate Byron, the group that founded the Pirate Bay back in 2003. Both of these earlier suspects have since been released. Gottfried, meanwhile, denies any involvement with the Logica hack. From EFF.org, dated September 27, 2012 by Mayra Sutton, the secrecy must be stopped. Congress members probe USTR on the confidential TPP negotiations. The Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement threatens to regulate and restrict the Internet in the name of enforcing intellectual property rights around the world. Yet the public and civil society continue to be denied meaningful access to the official text and are even kept in the dark about what proposals countries are pushing in this powerful multilateral trade agreement. With users having sent over 80,000 messages to Congress asking them to demand transparency in the TPP using EFF's Action Center, Congress members have been urged into action to uncover the secrecy. On September the 20th, Representative Zoe Lofgren sent an additional follow-up letter to the USTR, which EFF applauds. According to the letter, Representative Lofgren, who has long been a strong advocate for digital rights and was a vocal opponent of SOPA met with Ambassador Ron Kirk directly to discuss the TPP and her concerns over the lack of transparency in the process. The letter, which mentions that Ambassador Kirk told her he welcomed feedback on how to address the concerns, asks USTR to balance TPP IP enforcement provisions with the use of privileges, diversify the policy perspectives on their Industry Trade Advisory Committee for IP and be more transparent in its TPP negotiations overall. Representative Lofgren stated in her press release for the letter, TPP's IP provisions must not undermine the free expression of Internet users, the ability to share and create content online, the free and open character of the Internet, or the freedom of digital service providers to innovate. Lack of transparency and overbroad IP enforcement requirements have held back other international trade agreements in the recent past. These same issues are now undermining the results USTR seeks to achieve with TPP. They have yet to hear back with a response from the USTR. This is not Congress's first attempt to unveil the TPP. As we have reported, Senator Ron Wyden and Representative Darrell Issa are currently working on gathering signatures from their colleagues in Congress to ask the U.S. Trade Representative Ron Kirk to reveal what they are seeking in the TPP's IP chapter, specifically in relation to provisions that would impact the Internet and access to pharmaceutical drugs. And in June of this year, 130 members of the House of Representatives sent a detailed letter to the USTR asserting Congress's required role in the trade negotiations, making specific requests as to how they could make the process democratic and transparent while emphasizing the ways in which it fails to be neither of those things. Two months later, the USTR responded in a letter that did not address any of the specific issues raised by Congress members. The USTR claims that at the outset of the TPP negotiations in 2009, the participating countries signed a confidentiality agreement. In the June letter from 130 U.S. representatives, they explicitly asked for a copy of the confidentiality agreements and an explanation as to what role USTR or other governments played in creating it. In the USTR's response letter, They completely ignored the request. However, the model confidentiality agreement that served as a base for the TPP negotiations is a public document available at the page on the New Zealand Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade website. The model agreement lays out the rules of confidentiality for signatory countries over TPP draft text, proposals, communications, and other documents relating to the negotiations over the agreement. It is not clear, however, whether the model mirrors the exact agreement the USTR signed, and USTR is likely subject to internal confidentiality policies in addition to the agreement. To read the rest of the story, follow the links in the show notes. From TechDirt.com by Mike Masnick, did Friday, September 21, 2012. Law enforcement officials freak out about the possibility of having to get a warrant to read your email. We recently noted that Senator Leahy had attached his mostly good ECPA, Electronic Communications Privacy Act reform bill to another bill reforming the VPPA, the Video Privacy Protection Act. The ECPA reform would update the decades-old law that law enforcement has interpreted to more or less mean they don't need a warrant to read your online email. Leahy's update would require a warrant. This is good and important reform that should be supported But, of course, law enforcement freaked out, and it appears that Leahy has backed down, delaying hearings on the bill for now. Funny how he really wanted to push through the peeper, despite mass public protests, but a few law enforcement people get upset about respecting the Fourth Amendment, and things get delayed. From Declan McCollough's coverage, Block Quote, The delay comes two days after the failings of law enforcement organizations objected to the legislation, asking WEHI to reconsider acting on it until a more comprehensive review of its impact on law enforcement investigations is conducted. The groups included the National District Attorneys Association and the National Sheriff's Association. A person participating in Capitol Hill meetings on the topic told CNET that Justice Department officials have been expressing their displeasure about requiring search warrants. The Department is on record as opposing such a requirement. James Baker, the Associate Deputy Attorney General, has publicly warned that requiring a warrant to obtain stored email could have an adverse impact on criminal investigations. End block quote. Of course it would have an adverse impact on criminal investigations, so do lots of things, but those are the rules law enforcement plays by in a free society. It's not built to make law enforcement's life easy. Either way, it appears that this bit of EPCA reform will get pushed off once again. Hopefully when it comes back, it won't be watered down. For what it's worth, both the EFF and the ACLU who strongly support ECPA reform similar to what Leahy has been proposing have also not been happy with how Leahy introduced his bill because they both oppose the changes to the VPPA, which they're afraid will weaken privacy for people. This is a somewhat rare but unprecedented situation where I disagree with both of these organizations. The VPPA was a specific and broad carve out to deal with a single situation bork, bork, bork. I think it's reasonable to update it to allow for things like letting people choose to let Netflix and social networks share info on what movies they've watched, just like they can choose to show what music they listen to. I don't necessarily believe that it makes sense to link the VPPA to ECPA reform, but I don't think that passing the VPPA reform is so problematic that it should stop ECPA reform. Of course, if law enforcement has its way, and so far, that seems to be the case, ECPA reform might never happen. Is it really worth worrying about how you can choose to share your Netflix movies on Facebook while the Justice Department feels it can snoop broadly through your Gmail? From TechDirt.com by Mike Massick, Dave Friday, September 28th, DHS Boss, in charge of cybersecurity, doesn't use email or any online services. We've talked in the past about the problematic efforts to push for new cybersecurity regulations, especially when little to nothing has been done to show the actual problem. There has been quite a turf war over who would own cybersecurity within the federal government, with some wanting to give it to the Defense Department, where the NSA would control it, along with all your info, and others wanting to give it to the Department of Homeland Security. While neither option is ideal, DHS is clearly the lesser of two evils, should it come to pass. It makes much more sense for this issue to be in the hands of a civilian organization rather than a military one, especially a military one, with a horrible track record when it comes to privacy. That said, it's tough to be enthusiastic about DHS either, given the various problems and abuses we've seen in that department as well. Making matters even worse, it appears that the DHS boss, Janet Napolitano, who would effectively be in charge of cybersecurity, doesn't know much, if anything, about the Internet, and seems rather proud of that fact, referring to herself as a luddite. Quote. Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano, who is a key player in national cybersecurity efforts, said on Friday she doesn't use email. Don't laugh, but I just don't use email at all, she said, during a discussion at a cybersecurity summit hosted by National Journal and Government Executive. She didn't explain what communications tools she does use. President Obama, who appointed Napolitano, broke precedent by carrying his own BlackBerry device, but in response to a question about her personal cybersecurity practices, Napolitano said she avoids many online services. "'I don't have any of my own accounts. Some would call me a luddite,' she said." Quote. I don't think anyone should be laughing, but perhaps they should be very, very worried. Well, perhaps they should be asking why she's in that job when she doesn't seem to have the necessary experience. If it comes to pass that the DHS gets control over new cybersecurity efforts, this seems like a good reason to find someone else who actually has some grasp on what it is that they're regulating. From TorrentFreak.com, dated September 22, 2012, by Enigmax. Too legit to quit. 124.2 124.2 million legal BitTorrent music downloads in 2012. On Monday, Music Metric, a data and analytics company that maps the trends and preferences of music fans around the world, published its first digital music index. Music Metric revealed that their BitTorrent monitoring, which spanned the first half of 2012, covered a total of 750,000 recording artists. During that six-month period, they logged a total of 405 million music release downloads. Now, as regular readers will note, every week and in annual roundups, Torrent Freak produces two charts, three of we include our games chart, one for the world's most downloaded movies and the other for TV shows. They rarely, if ever, contain authorized material. But interestingly, music metrics analysis shows that in music, things are quite different. Not only did legal music make an appearance, but in five of the top 20 downloading countries worldwide, dubstep artist Bill Van topped the charts after signing a licensing deal with BitTorrent Incorporated, the company behind uTorrent. Legal content has become hugely popular in place of other illegal content, in a quarter of the top 20 countries for downloads. Music Metric explained, and today BitTorrent Incorporated points to Freak towards what the company describes as a fun infographic, but one with a very serious point. While Music Metric might have locked 405 million downloads in total, BitTorrent Incorporated can claim credit for a significant proportion of them through its licensing work. During the first half of twenty twelve, BitTorrent Incorporates artist promotions delivered one hundred twenty four million one hundred ninety one thousand eight hundred and sixty three licensed legal music downloads, a massive number which shows that BitTorrent is much more than a tool for pirates. What this statistic shows, very clearly, is there's a lot of good, legitimate content in the BitTorrent ecosystem that is adding value to the careers of the artists and publishers who decided to release their work using the protocol," BitTorrent Incorporates Matt Mason told Torrent Freak. These are just the BitTorrent bundles we as a company were seeding ourselves, which are the only things we can track. The total number of times these files were shared worldwide is probably much higher. Whatever that number is, one thing is certain. To say BitTorrent is just for illegal file sharing is flat-out wrong. According to Mason, the artist promotions BitTorrent ran have been a great success, and not just because of the impressive download statistic. Artists are eager to work with BitTorrent and see value in sharing their work for free. In the coming months and years, BitTorrent Incorporated therefore plans to continue and improve their collaboration with artists. BitTorrent is quite simply the best way to move large files across the Internet. More and more of the creative industries are coming to understand BitTorrent and are using it to get their work directly to their fans in ways that make sense for everyone," Mason told Torrent Freak. The 124 million plus downloads is a huge figure and difficult to visualize, so BitTorrent corporate has chosen to show what 689,955 looks like, the number of licensed music downloads the company facilitates in a single day using uTorrent. Have fun scrolling, then multiply the time it took by 180 to get an ideal of six months' worth of downloads. Other headlines in the news. To read these stories, follow the links in the show notes. File sharing for personal use declared legal in Portugal. News from techdirt.com dot MaggieMcNeil.wordpress.com, and Olga.com used under arranged permission. News from TorrentFreak.com and EFF.org used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution License. News from rhrealitycheck.org, used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution Share-Alike License. News from venezuelanalysis.com, used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution Non-Commercial No-Derivatives License. News sources retain their respective copyrights. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. Here are the vital statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in DeepGeek. Talk Geek to Me. This episode of Talk Geek to Me is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 Unpoured License. This license allows commercial reuse of the work as well as allowing you to modify the work so long as you share alike the same rights you have received under this license. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me.